Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Good morning, Harbor. Woo-hoo. Come on now. Look around. Say hi to somebody that's sitting near you, behind you, in front of you. Say good morning to them. Here you go. Be friendly. Love your neighbor, you know, almost like Jesus told you to. There you go. If I can wait a few more minutes, that sun will get over that tree, and then I'll start to get warm. It'll be perfect. I'll love it. Some of you never complaining that it's too cold to be outside. I've been prepping you all year with our air conditioning in the auditorium, so you should be fine. Should be fine with this. Man, well, I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time, a special welcome to you. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor at Harbor Church. I'm thrilled that you're with us. Thank you so much for coming out and being a part of today's block party as we celebrate our uh, six-year anniversary at Harbor Church. Six years ago. It was actually last week. Last week was our six-year anniversary, but, you know, the remnants of a hurricane kept us from partying outside. That's okay. But it was about this time six years ago that... Uh, Man, when we said, God, like, if you're going to use just a handful of dumpster fires, would you do something, would you do something through us that would make a difference in our community? And so we've always been looking for ways to impact our community, to love our neighbors, hence having a block party. I hope more and more people come as the day goes on. It will get warmer. The bounce houses will get inflated and we're going to have a ton of food. And I know that's why a lot of you are here. So I won't preach too, too long today, but man, I'm so thankful that you're with me. Before we jump into it, I do have to make a special note. Uh, where is my wife at? Where's my wife? Three people stood up and they are not my wife. The person that's not standing, Kaylee, I need you to come up here, babe. Come on. She's going to hate this. So, so I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this. Uh, last week was our church's, uh, six year anniversary. As I just said, uh, today is Kaylee and I's wedding anniversary. Come on up. Come on up. And uh, folks, I get a lot of credit for what happens on the stage here at Harbor. Uh, as the pastor of the church, I get, to, uh, I get to see a lot of you and most of you get to know me. Some of you don't know my wife or even get to meet her. She does play on the band and serve in our children's ministry. But uh, Kaylee is the co-founder of Harbor Church um, and... Uh, For all the credit I get from the stage, it's only made possible because of what Kaylee does behind the stage. Um, so Kaylee, in front of everybody, I wanted to give honor where honor is due. I wanted you to know um, I love you. All right. I don't know how I taught Kaylee into planting a church with me. She's like, how long would this take to get it going? I'm like, maybe one year will be, it'll be crazy for a year and then it'll calm down. And that was seven years ago I made that promise. And I'm waiting for it to come true. But uh, she's put up with a lot. And uh, just, uh, man, I'm incredibly thankful for that. I'm thankful for you guys. Harbor Church, I, I had never imagined that we would get to this place. I, I honestly said, God, if, if, if we get to like 100 people, man, that would be awesome. And uh, God said, you know what? I want to use you to do more. And I think the best is still yet to come, Harbor Church. God's got something going on for us. I know that. Um, 
There's some things happening right now behind the scenes. We're praying to see what it is that God might be doing. But I, as we have continued to grow, even coming out of COVID, um, we weren't sure how everybody was going to respond, but we have grown almost every single month since then. And to see you guys grow, not just numerically, but to see the lives that have been changed, man. God has been so good to us. And I recognize that some of you are here today uh, and you're, you don't really know Harbor. You don't really know me. But I'm still thankful that you're here. You might have just come because one of your friends is going to get baptized later today. It might be that, uh, yeah, you can make some noise for the people getting baptized. That's always exciting. If you're new to church, and I know some of you are, you're like, I don't know how, what to do with this church. See what people just did? They clapped. They made noise. If you come from a church that I came from as a little kid growing up, you weren't allowed to make any noise at church. Like, you had to sit there and sit very still and be very quiet. Harbor is the opposite of that, so you can have some fun. You can make some noise. If I make a good point or if God speaks to your heart about something, you can cheer for that. Or if you're excited about something, you can you can have some fun with that. But if you're here and you're new and you're going, man, I don't know what this is all about, one, thank you for coming. Um, even if you lost a bet, and that's the only reason you're here, I'm still glad that you're here. If you just came for the food or for the bounce houses, I'm still glad that you're here. And I want you to hear a story uh, it's found in the Bible. It's found in John chapter 4, and it's one of my favorite stories. Out of all the Gospels, this is the only one that, that really talks about this, and it's Jesus' interaction with what's called the woman at the well. Some people call it the living water discourse. It's this passage in John chapter 4 where we get a little insight into Jesus. And before we party and before we get into the chili contest and the pies and the baptisms and the bounce houses and all that stuff, I wanted to remind you, Harbor Church and everybody else visiting, I wanted to remind you of what it is that Jesus modeled for us. If you don't have a Bible, I'll read to you. It's from John chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse number 4. It's talking about Jesus. He's been hanging out in Judea, and he's trying to go back to Galilee. So he's got this road trip that he's on, and it says that he has to go through Samaria on his way home. And eventually, in verse 5, it says he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from his long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Now, you might say, that's a lot of detail that I don't need. Get on to the story. But even that opening detail shows us something about Jesus. What it tells us about Jesus is that he goes out of his way to make this encounter happen. Samaria is not a place that a lot of Jewish men would have wanted to go to. Jesus, being a rabbi, most rabbis at the time would have avoided Samaria. The Samaritans were half Jews, half Gentiles. And so a lot of the Jewish people discounted them as if though they didn't exist. They wanted nothing to do with them. Jesus as a rabbi would have been expected to avoid them at all costs. Instead, Jesus goes out of his way to go to this village. And I want you to understand the timing here. If Jesus doesn't go to that exact village at that exact time on that exact day, he doesn't have this interaction with this woman that we're about to read. That is not a coincidence. Jesus makes sure that he's in the right town at the right well. By the way, there's other wells in this area. He goes to that specific well, and it's at that time. Now, noon was not a time that people would go to the well. You go early in the morning or late in the evening. It's too hot at noon. And yet Jesus goes at that time because there was going to be one woman at that specific time that was right there. I want you to understand something, and this is important for all of you, whether you're new to church or not. We don't pursue Jesus. Jesus pursues us. He comes after us. He comes and meets us where we are in the middle of all of our brokenness, in the middle of all of the crap that we have going on in our life. Jesus says, hey, I'll meet you there. 
a lot of us grew up with the church mentality that if I clean myself up, if I get my act together, if I start doing some good things, if I change my language, that's a hard one for some people, if I, if I just do some things different and get a little better, then, then I can go have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus doesn't make this woman do anything. He goes out of his way to sit there and meet her where she's at. As a matter of fact, guys, if you, don't, if you haven't noticed this, if you haven't read your Bible, the whole Bible is a story about God going out of his way to redeem us to find us. Ever since the Garden of Eden, God has, has been unveiling an, uh, a redemption plan to, to meet you where you're at. You don't have to have your life together. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it figured out. Heck, we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is the story of the God of the universe leaving heaven to come to earth. He's born in a manger. Why? Because he's pursuing us. It's all part of his redemption plan, all part of his coming to us. The whole Bible's about it. This is how this is how it's described in John 6 44. No one can come to the Father unless they come through me, is what Jesus says. The Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I'll raise them up. Luke 19:10. For the Son of Man, this is Jesus describing himself. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus tells a story about how he's just like a shepherd that would leave his flock to go find one lost sheep. This is Jesus doing that in action. Jesus goes to the village of Sychar at noon to this well to meet this woman and change her life. Some of you, God has been pursuing you all the way up until right here, right now, today. He's been coming after you. You've, you have nothing to do with him. You don't, some of you don't want God at all, and yet he still came after you. Some of you might be here today going, I, I am kind of looking for an answer. Okay, well, this whole journey to get you to today has been God trying to pull on that string, that, that wall you have built up around your heart saying, hey, I want a relationship with you. I want you guys to understand that. Right now, in this moment, I don't care how jacked up you are. I don't care if you're an atheist or a Buddhist. I don't care if you have nothing to do with Jesus. I don't care if you're, you're still high from last night. If you're here and you're hearing this, Jesus Christ wants you to know that he wants a relationship with you. He goes out of his way to meet this woman, and he finds this woman. She's by herself. By the way, she does. she's not at the well with all the other women in the morning time because the other women in the village didn't like her. She was one of those people that got talked about. She's one of those people that got made fun of and gossiped about behind her back. And so she goes to the well at noon so that she can be left alone, and yet Jesus is there. And it says in verse 7 of John chapter 5, Soon a Samaritan woman came down to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Hey, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, and she, she said, for Jews refuse to have anything to do with a Samaritan. So she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you even talking to me? Why are you even asking me for a drink? See, in the middle of Jesus reaching out to her, she's taken back by the fact that he would have anything to do with her. Not only would Jews not go into Samaria normally, but if they did, they wouldn't talk to, to, to Samaritans. And if a, a Jewish man was going to talk to a Samaritan, he would have talked to a Samaritan man. It's not of the custom for the men to talk to the women, especially a Jew to a Samaritan. You know, like I, I, didn't really, I was in Nepal last, uh, two weeks ago, 
And I didn't realize this. I'd been there for a week, and I'm just shaking hands like we do, right? You know, like that's what Americans do. We shake hands, and I'm getting introduced to like I, I got introduced to somebody like every hour. I'm like, oh hey, how are you? How are you? Nice to meet you. Nice to you. Namaste. Namaste. Nice to meet you. Yeah. And I'm just doing the typical thing, pastor. And after about a week, one of the guys goes, "Hey, um, it's not really acceptable for a man to shake hands with a woman here." And I went, "Oh." You mean what I've been doing literally all the time? And they're like, yeah. They're like, we know you're a Westerner, so we kind of make an exception for you. But that's not normal. And I was like, cool. I've just been being a jerk this whole time. But, like, they, they said, hey, if if it's your sister or your mom or, like, a really, really close friend, you're allowed to, like, shake her hand or give her a hug. But, like, other than that, if, if you're not really close, you don't – the men don't touch the women. Like, that's just part of the culture. I was like, cool. So I'm a jerk for, like, literally a whole week. So then from then on, I would see somebody like, okay, namaste, namaste, like – as I like, don't shake hands. Like I had to get it in my mind. This woman is making a point about culture. She says, how are you even talking to me? Jesus, she doesn't know his name yet. She's like, but why are you a rabbi even talking to me? And it makes me, it, it, it reminds me that in the middle of this, by the way, Jesus already knew everything about her. She's going to find that out. But Jesus really doesn't care about her reputation. He doesn't care about what culture says is right or wrong. Jesus cares about loving on this woman who desperately needs him. He's not concerned with what does the world think, what does culture say. When God wants to get into your life, when he wants a relationship with you, he's not concerned about what other people think about you. So you need to hear this because you don't understand God. In this moment right now, Jesus Christ doesn't care what your friends from high school say about you, doesn't care about what your ex has posted about you online, doesn't care what your old boss said about you, doesn't care that you've actually ruined some relationships and some have a bad reputation. He doesn't care about that stuff. He, he's still there, and he, he says, hey, I, I'm, I'm coming after you because I want to know you. I, I, I actually love you. That's why I'm talking to you. She, she has never experienced love like this not from her people, not from her family, not from her previous husbands, and this complete stranger is loving her past all of her mistakes. The reason I bring that up is because this is a this is a key piece of what it is that Jesus tells us to do. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says there's three big things. There's faith, there's hope, and there's love. Abide in these three. And you would say, yeah, most church people know that. Got to have faith, right? Man, there's songs about that. Got to have faith. What about the hope piece? Oh, man, I'm hoping for this. I'm hoping for that. I'm hoping the Patriots figure out how to win. I mean, that's that's a long shot prayer right now. There's there's so many things that we we have faith in and we hope for and all those things. He says love is in, the, is in there, and then he ends the verse by saying this. The greatest is love. The greatest thing that you could bring to the table, those of you that are here and you're like, well, I'm a person of faith. Great. You need faith. Uh, I'm somebody who's very hopeful. Good. Have the hope. God says he builds on that. But he says the greatest of all the things that you could display is love. Love. He says, he says in John 3.16 that he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever... If anybody would put their faith in Jesus Christ, they could have eternal life. They could have their sins forgiven and have a relationship with them. That's because of love. It says in John 15, verse 13, greater love has nobody than this, than that they would lay their life down for a friend. The ultimate love that God has called us to show, he shows it to this random stranger. You and I barely show love to the people that we're sitting next to. 
Did that make it awkward for some of you that are sitting next to people you're married to and or related to? You barely love the people you're sitting next to. And he says he has the kind of love, the kind of love that he would die for somebody. He says greater love has nobody than this, that they lay down their life for a friend. And in 1 John 4, 19, it says we love because he first loved us. How did he love us? He loved us to the place that he laid his life down for us. So the only reason that you and I have the ability to love anybody is because God loved us so much. He modeled it for us. We're made in his image. We, we get a chance to have that kind of a relationship if we choose to. It says in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love, now watch this, love covers a multitude of sins. Some of you need to remember that. 1 Peter 4, 8, keep loving because love covers a multitude of sin. When things don't go well with a family member, those of you that got kids, those of you that got parents, a spouse, there are going to be sins, there's going to be issues, there's going to be frustrations, there's going to be complications. The thing that will make the difference is the love between those two people. Well, pastor, that person doesn't love me. All right, a lot of people didn't love Jesus and he still loved them anyways. You might be called right now in this moment to love somebody who feels unlovable. If you're sitting next to that person, don't nudge them. Just look at me and know like, hey, yeah, that person may be hard to love. And yet God still loved him and he's called you to love him. Now watch what he does. He loves this lady. He meets her where she's at. It says Jesus replies to her, if we go back to the story in verse 10, if you only knew the gift that I had for you, you wouldn't ask me that. You would ask me to give you living water. And she looks at him and she says, well, sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket How are you going to get water out of this well? It's really deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than Jacob who gave us the well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus has now given her the gospel. He's saying, hey, listen, I've got something for you that's better than anything this world could offer. That is still true today, by the way. He says, I've got something for you that's better than anything else that you could find. He says, you're thinking about physical water. You've come to this well, and you'll be back at this well tomorrow, and you'll come back the next day and the next day, because it doesn't matter how much of what you can get from this world, it'll always leave you wanting more. I don't know if you guys understand what I'm talking about. Some of you have been in pursuit of what this world has to offer, just like this woman at the well was going back. And then when she encounters Jesus and Jesus says, I've got something better for you, what's her reply? Oh, thank you, Jesus. I love you. No, she does what a lot of you have done. <laughs> Who do you think you are? She looks at Jesus offering her salvation, and she's like, you can't do that. You can't solve this problem. She starts with the practical. You don't even have a bucket or a rope. (laughs) How are you going to give me water? And he goes, no, no, no. You keep thinking about practical, earthly, physical solutions. I'm talking about a spiritual level. And she's looking and she's asking. She's going, how are you going to solve my problems? Many of you, and I know I'm guilty of this, We'll look at Jesus and we'll go, how are you going to solve my problem, Jesus? The doctor said this. My bank account has this. 
the person that I that that no longer wants to talk to me burned this bridge and we start listing out all the things that we see as impossible and so we look at Jesus and we say hey how did, how can this how can it get better how can you fix this how can it how could it ever go how could it ever be anything close to what you're talking about and he's going hey you keep looking to pre- like these earthly tangible things you keep looking to all of this stuff to rescue you and save you and this stuff will make you thirsty again he says, you could get this water, but you're going to need more of it tomorrow. Some of you have been looking to your job to give you fulfillment. Some of you have been trying to find somebody to fall in love with you, to marry you, to tell you that they love you. That, that'll make you feel fulfilled. If you could just have kids, then you'll be fulfilled. Or grandkids. If you could just get a raise. If you could just have a, tie, a bigger title. If you could just have a comfortable retirement. If you could just have a few more toys. Just and I, I don't even I can't even go into all of it that it could be, but in your heart, what is the well that you keep coming back to, hoping that it'll make you happy someday, hoping that it'll make you feel fulfilled someday? Jesus stands there and goes, "This is going to leave you hungry again. This is going to make you thirsty again. You're going to get it, and then you're going to have to come back again." He's like, "You're going to keep looking for things that this world offers, and it's never going to meet that 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 need that you have. Every single one of us have a God-sized hole in our life." that only Jesus Christ can fill. And if you fill it with something else, drugs, relationships, money, whatever you can get, you're going to be left wanting. You're going to you're going to be hungry again. The few people on this planet that have actually found success and insane and an insane amount of money, the famous, the super elite wealthy, they aren't happy either. They're still now hungry for more. They they're the ones that commit suicide and get get strung out on drugs because they finally got what it was they were looking for, and it didn't make them happy. So why are you going back to that same well? All right. I'm going to have to preach louder, which means I'm going to have to drink some water. All right. She starts with saying, you don't got a rope or a bucket, and then she actually she makes it a little bit different. Now she attacks Jesus. Who do you think you are, Jesus? You're not Jacob. You think you could do more than Jacob? I love it that when God gets a, when God starts speaking to our lives, sometimes we just start finding all the reasons it won't work. We start to break out all of the reasons. We become defensive about our beliefs, don't we? She's like, oh, she's like, you're not, you're not as good as Jacob, are you? She starts quoting some of her history, some of her heritage, some of her superstitions. Later on, she wants to argue about a place of worship. Is this mountain better than this one? When God starts to get a hold of our heart, a lot of us start to come up with excuses for why it won't work. A lot of us, you can shake your heads yes, you bunch of liars. Here you go. A lot of us come up with excuses with God about why it won't work and why we can't trust him. Well, what about this religion? What about this belief? What about my family? Or you don't understand where I come from. You don't understand how I was raised. What about this? And what about, we start coming up with all these things that we, that we like to use as roadblocks for why we can't trust Jesus. Some of you here, you've been believers. Look at me. You've been believers for a long time. You've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And yet, in the middle of this, some of you decades long, you're still making excuses for why you can't trust Jesus with the next step. He's calling you to, say, he's calling you to step out and take a, a, a leap of faith to grow in your, your walk with him. And you've already come up with the reasons why it won't happen. You don't want to know why you do that? Because that's just naturally who we are. We've been coming up with excuses for why Jesus can't do what Jesus can do for, since the beginning. In this moment, she's telling him, hey, you're not who you are. John 5, chapter 5, verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word 
and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment. He's passed from death to life. Jesus says what we get down to is a matter of belief. It's what this woman at the well has to come to. It's where some of you right now today need to get to. It's a matter of what you're going to choose to believe. You will either choose to believe that what you've done is going to be good enough, that one day when you die, you're either going to stand before God and he's going to be like, oh, wow, you really helped a lot of old ladies across the street. Go on in. He's going to look at all the things you've done and and give you a thumbs up. Or you can choose to believe that he made a path for you into heaven. And he says that path into heaven has to go through Jesus Christ. And he has to be at the center of your life. He died to cover all of your sins, but you have to be willing to let go of your sins and trust something bigger than yourself. That's what he says about faith. Now, listen, every single person here has faith. Every single one of us. The person who's atheist, the person who has a different religion, everybody has faith. You believe something. Even if you're like, I choose to believe there is no God. That's a belief system. You're putting all of your hope in the fact that when you take your last breath, that you won't stand before God. By the way, that is so sad. I'm sorry. It's, man, there's no hope there. What you, have to, what you have to come to is that every single one of us have a faith system. We have a, a belief in something. Jesus is saying, you're just going to have to choose to put your faith in me and wrestle through that. That pulling you have on your heart is the thing you have to wrestle through. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8, it says, it's by God's grace through, the, through faith that we have been saved. It's not anything that we've done. It's been a work of God. It's a gift from God. If you're trying to work out your salvation, like if this woman at the well is like, oh, if I get five buckets of water, will you save me then, Jesus? No. Well, if I, if I learn a bunch of Bible verses, will you save me then? No. Your salvation has nothing to do with what you can do. It has nothing to do with how good you are, how many times you go to church, if you give money, if you help people, if you swear or don't swear. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the fact that God was gracious enough to give you salvation and that you choose to put your faith in that gift. Pastor, I don't know. I don't know about faith. I, I don't know. How, how, how do you describe that? Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for. It's a conviction about things that aren't seen. I don't see it. I don't know. I can't. I, 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 I don't have Jesus right here in front of me physically to say that, so I have to put my faith in something that's unseen. In the same way that every single one of us is putting our faith in something unseen, it's just what we're hoping for. God is saying you have a bigger, you have something better to put your faith in than just what the world offers. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of Christ. This woman encounters Jesus at the well. He says, hey, listen, I've got living water for you. She says in verse 15, sir, please, please give me this water. I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. And so Jesus looks at her, and he says, all right, hey, go get your husband. And she says, well, I I don't have a husband, the woman replied to Jesus. She's kind of hoping it'll end there. And Jesus goes, yeah, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And you're not even married to the man that you're living with right now. So, yeah, you kind of spoke the truth, he says. I read this, and at first I go, ouch, Jesus. How are you going to do her like that? Like, call her out. Like, you were getting along so well. He's like, I got living water for you. I want to save you. And she's like, yeah, I want it. He goes, now go get your husband. Why would he say that? Do you have to have a husband to get saved? All right, five people knew the answer to that question. 
You do not have to be married to get saved. So why would Jesus tell her when she's like, yeah, I want that living water. Why would Jesus say, hey, go get your husband? Because up until this point, she hasn't been real about who she is. See, God wants to God wants to redeem her. He wants to save her. But she, if she doesn't come to grips with the fact that she's a sinner, a few weeks from now, she's going to go, yeah, he didn't really save the real me. He didn't know that I was jacked up. He didn't know that I was a dumpster fire. Jesus already knows that she's a train wreck. I need you to understand this. Some of you aren't hearing me. Jesus already knew how messed up she was. He's just getting her to admit it. He's not trying to embarrass her. Because look at it. You could almost see the conversation go. She's like, oh, I want this living water. Give it to me. And he goes, okay, go get your husband. She's like, ha, ha, uh, but I'm not married. He's like, you're right, you're not married. You've been married five times. And the dude you're with right now, he's not even your husband. And she's like, we don't talk about Bruno. Like, can we just bypass that? And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, we got to deal with the fact that you've got sin. Because when I'm going to save you, when I'm going to rescue you, I'm taking all of you. I'm taking all of your baggage. I'm taking all of your issues. I'm taking all of your sin. I'm taking all of your past. And I'm putting it under the blood that I, I'm going to put on Calvary. He's saying, I've got, I've, got a, I've got the power to take care of all of it. Not just the best of you. I will forgive the worst of you. She needed to come to grips with that. Jesus wasn't trying to embarrass her. He's trying to make sure that she knew that what he was going to do covered everything that she was fully bought for, fully redeemed, fully saved. He's saying, hey, I've got, I've got more. He's not trying to be cruel. This is what the Bible says. Jesus knew what Proverbs says in Proverbs 28, 13. It says, whoever conceals their sin, their transgressions, won't prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them obtains mercy. Some of you today, I don't know why you haven't accepted Jesus other than maybe I know for a while I thought that he just wouldn't take all of my garbage. Like I knew he loved me, but I thought he only loved the best of me. And so I bought this lie from Satan that until I could fix the worst of me, I really couldn't have a walk with him. I couldn't really have a relationship with him. That's not what he's saying. That's not what Jesus is, is teaching us in the story with the woman at the well, and it's not what he's saying to you today. He's saying, hey, I will take care of all of the thing. The thing that had made her an outcast from her community, Jesus already knew about it. He still went and met her. And then he proved to her, he's like, hey, I already know about this and I still love you. I've got more for you. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What I mean by that is everything that you've ever done wrong, the thing that you've never whispered to any other person, the thing that's deep, deep down in your life, that dark corner of your life that you've tucked it away in and you hope nobody ever shines a light over there, Jesus says, I already know about that. I know every thought that you've had that you shouldn't have had, every word that you've said that you never should have said, everything you've ever done, and I forgive you for it. You just have to be willing to own it and ask me. If we confess our sins, that means if we admit that we're jacked up, if we admit that we're not a good enough God to run our lives, if we allow him to step into the driver's seat of our life and let him call the shots, that's what that is, that's surrender. It's humility. It's saying, yeah, I'm not good enough. And if you'll come to that place where you'll be real with God, he says, I've got forgiveness for you. I've got hope for you. I've got a home in heaven for you. I want better for you. Just let me in. 
This woman accepts Jesus Christ, and I want to leave you with this. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well, and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? In verse 30, people came streaming from the village to see him. This woman is credited later on with leading most of her village to Jesus. Most of them become Christians, followers of Christ, because the one outcast woman encountered Jesus, found forgiveness, and then her life became a testimony about it. She said, hey, come and see. Come and see. Some of you are here today because somebody that lo- somebody loved you enough to say, hey, come and see. Come and see. Come see this Jesus who forgives the biggest dumpster fires there is. Come see the Jesus who already knows everything that's jacked up about you and loves you anyways. Come and see what happens when a group of people find forgiveness and learn to love their neighbor. They get excited. They get bold about their faith. They go public with it. They don't care. Nobody wanted to hang out out with this woman. Nobody wanted to go to the well with her. And when she meets Jesus, she says, I don't care if you like me or not. I love you enough the way that he loves you to let you know there's something better. And she goes public with her faith. In a few minutes, there's going to be a a group of people going public with their faith, getting baptized. Something happens when your life is changed. So here's what I'm going to ask you today. Has your life ever been changed by Jesus? Have you ever had an encounter with Jesus like this woman did at the well where you recognize that he went out of his way, he left heaven to come to earth because of you? If you were the only person in this parking lot, Jesus Christ would have died on the cross just to know you, just to forgive you. If you've had that kind of encounter, maybe today's the day where you're figuring this out, that man, this God of the universe loves me enough to pursue me. Would you also go as far as to put your faith in him and say, hey, I know that I can't forgive myself. I can't take away my sins, but I believe you can. Would you invite him in? See, there's only two kinds of people here. There's the ones that are the the sinners who have found salvation, and there's the sinners who still haven't found salvation yet. Those of you that have accepted Jesus Christ and those of you who haven't. We're all jacked up. We're all sinners. We're all in need of Jesus. And some people here have already invited him in, and some of you are still needing to do that. If you would say, hey, pastor, I've already done it. I've already given my life to Jesus. Then do you look like this woman later on? Do you, do you have the come and see kind of attitude? Do you, do you have the boldness that, that would go to your enemies and say, hey, I love you enough to tell you about somebody who, who can change your life? See, when I see this woman at the well, her life is so radically changed by Jesus, she instantly finds forgiveness. She instantly finds boldness. She instantly says, hey, I'm a new creature. I've got something better. Hey, just come and see. I don't know how to tell you other than I just want to invite you to come see. Have you had that kind of change in your heart? Have you found that kind of boldness to proclaim Jesus to the people around you? How many of your coworkers, kids, how many of your classmates, your teammates, need Jesus and he's put you on that team he's put you in that classroom he's put you in that workplace he's put you in that family in that community to be the the light the come and see person that's what he reminds us of listen I'm ready to party with you guys I'm ready to have a lot of fun but the only reason that Harbor Church exists is because somebody said come and see and now we get to be a group of people who've encountered Jesus and our mission is to go hey come and see 
Come and see. I want us to continue to do that every opportunity that God gives us. Today is one of those days where we're saying, hey, come and see. Come and see what it looks like just to have a, have a relationship with a God who loves you. So here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you if you would, close your eyes. Bow your head. I'm going to pray out loud. Would you pray right where you're at? All over this parking lot, I'm going to invite you to pray. You don't have to have any special words. You don't have to know any specific prayers. I'm going to ask you in this moment just to be honest about where it is that God would have you. There's some of you here that have never accepted Jesus Christ. You do not have that moment of surrender. You don't have that moment where you've invited him in. So I'm going to ask you, would you make this moment that, that, that one time where you say, Jesus, I need you. Right now, in, that, in, in, in this moment, with nobody looking around, with your eyes closed, would you just say, God, I need you. Jesus, forgive me. I need forgiveness. I need hope. I need a home in heaven. I need a different God for my life than me. I need something bigger. Jesus, save me. It doesn't have to be those exact words, but would you invite him in? Would you surrender your life? Would you be willing to say, I need you more than anything? There's other people here, and you'd say, I already have Jesus. Then in this moment, while there's people praying around you, would you say, God, I need to be more bold with my faith? I need to have the kind of attitude that invites everyone to, to encounter you. I need to be like that woman at the well that just tells her whole village, God, help me. God, give me that kind of, that, that kind of faith. Give me that kind of love for the people around me, that, the love that you have for me. Let me love others that way. As there's people praying, why don't you pray that and, and ask God to make you more bold, make you have a testimony, help you love the people around you. As I pray, you pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you. God, thank you for the story of the woman at the well. God, thank you that you're the kind of God that goes out of his way to meet us where we need you, to meet us right where we're at in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our denial. God, this woman, she, she has all the excuses for why she can't, can't follow you, why she can't accept you, and yet you loved her through it. God, I know there's people right now in this parking lot that need a relationship with you. God, give them the strength, give them the wisdom to open their heart, to invite you in, to find forgiveness of every sin that they've ever committed, everything that they've ever done wrong, everything that's ever been that's ever been broken in their life. God, you want to fix that. You want to heal that. God, let them find your forgiveness, your love, your mercy right now in this moment. I pray that they would open up their heart and invite you in. God, I pray that each and every one of us would become a little bit more excited about telling other people about you. God, that we would stop making excuses, that we would stop blaming other things, that we would stop letting fear control us, that we would stop, God, uh, living in the past and all the reasons that we feel like we, we have for disobeying you, God. I pray that in this moment right now, we would lay that down and surrender to you. God, however much time you have left for us, let us use it for your glory. Let us be the kind of people that are excited about you and excited about telling others about you. God, help us be that kind of church. Help us be the church that's not known for rules, but we're known for love. Where people don't see what we, that we're that kind of place that takes, but they see that we're the kind of place that gives. God, let us be the kind of church that loves the way you would have loved. God, we ask this, we pray this, we believe it's all possible because of you. So we ask it in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.